Petersfield's Shine Radio. You are listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde and you're listening to Talking Books, where each month I pick a pearl from the past. This month, with lockdown looming again, I hope to bring a real belter to keep you going. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, with some ideas of books that you might enjoy. We're recording this remotely, and there's an interview with author Thomas Harding to look forward to later in the programme, which is about partly about his new book, Legacy, which is just coming out in paperback, I really look forward to that, Tim. This is so much harder, isn't it, when we can't see each other face to face. So for you at home, know that we're doing this distantly. So really sorry, the sound quality won't be quite as good as normal because we're away from our producer, John Wellsman, who'll be just doing the edit. Let's kick off then, Tim. What was the best book you read during the Christmas break? Well, I really enjoyed Tom Bradby's new book, Double Agent, which is just coming out uh, at the moment in paperback. It's the sort of second part of a, of a thriller series. Uh, he wrote a book called Secret Service um, a year or so ago. And it's uh, about a sort of MI6 operative called Kate Henderson, who is one of the high-ups in the Secret Services. And uh, she finds out about some uh, plot that's going on with Russian skullduggery and British political corruption. Um, and it's fast-paced. It's pretty exciting um, and also, I think Tom seems to know what he's talking about. I mean, I think he, he's a bit of an expert on these things. And uh, what with working as an ITN news uh, anchor, he's, um, he's got his finger on the pulse. The other thing that's interesting about him is that he's, he's got good local connections as well. He's, he, he, he married a local Hampshire girl. And I think he's got, got, he spends quite a lot of time in this part of the world. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know that. Well, my perfect Christmas book is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. I read it beginning every midwinter day. Um, I started doing it again because there's a great Twitter thing. I don't know if you know, hashtag the dark is reading. And so you sort of read along with others, which is a different thing. I didn't do it this year. I haven't come across that. Sounds like a rather good, rather good thing. I love it. It's full of atmosphere, snow, carols, folklore, myths, the eternal battle between light and dark, but very real kids. Although probably children now would find the dialogue a little bit stilted. But I think it's a wonderful book actually for adults to read as well, possibly more, because she's full of this intense nostalgia for the ancient beauty of the Buckinghamshire countryside and Aberdovey, where she used to go to stay with her grandmother, she being Susan Cooper, the author, where she used to stay with her grandmother in Wales, which really permeates it all. I don't know if you've read it, have you? Well, I've read the. I just read the first one, um, which is uh, actually more of a summer book. In fact, uh, confusingly, because it's, it's set in a, on a summer holiday in in Cornwall. Which is, is that called, called Oversea Understone? That's right. Yes. Um, which I think I gather from from reading around it that it's it's the most uh, sort of childlike. I think of of mm. of this of the series mm. in the sense that it's um, it's fairly. Ina Blyton-like to start with, although gradually the story gets darker and it's a sort of clear good versus evil story. Um, 
You it, see, I a... think it was shoved in later. So if if listeners are thinking about it, I wouldn't start with that if I were you. I'd oh, definitely start okay. with The Darkest Rising. And Oversea Under Stone was published in 1965. And then there was quite a gap before um, the 1973 Darkest Rising. And then she trotted them out. I can't remember. I think it was 78. The last one came out. Um, uh, I see. That's, yeah, that's so quite I think that makes a big difference. So I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry you started with that one. <laughs> but it is, it is, I mean, it is the first chronologically in the series. So it, it's, it is. But I in that sense, think, it's a good place to start. I know it is. But I, <laughs> but I do want, if you're listening, I do want you to avoid it um, because I think it's been shoved in as a as a sequence, and and I don't think it really is. It's very classically sort of Arthurian and Grail, and and although that's picked up later, it's, it's I think it was an afterthought. That's my personal thing the whole atmosphere is utterly different as soon as you kick off with the dark is rising so right. next year tim i'll expect to meet you on twitter um, yes under and we'll start hashtag. with a proper proper winter story a I proper agree. winter story okay what else have you read anything else currently well there's nothing nothing that's really i read i read the midnight library the matt haig uh, book which i also really enjoyed actually um which is I suppose it's it's a sort of it's a fable, um, and I can't I can't tell you too much about it because it would give too much too much spoilers. But basically, it's about someone looking back at their life uh, and and the mistakes that they made. But I won't tell you how they look back at their lives because that would give it away. Oh, but it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a good book and it's um, makes you think. Say so again, what's it, what's its title? The Midnight Library the Midnight by Matt Library. Haig. It's a great title i love that um and my one you know i'm classic aren't i i've just finished winter kill by ragnar jonasson um which is a nordic noir except not terribly noir it's still very nice it's snow it's ice it's a wonderful akureyri iceland detective what's not to love um, i'm currently reading nick hornby's uh, just like you which is um well it's very nick hornby actually i i, I <laughs> <laughs> explain <laughs> quite like his other stuff but um is entertaining and and quite light uh and um very contemporary and um yeah it, it, it's 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 pretty good i'm halfway through what more That's can i say brilliant <laughs> well i think we should turn to thomas harding now petersfield's shine radio many of you will know thomas harding's writing but for those who don't he has written several books just pick two uh, Hans and Rudolf, the story of how his great-uncle Hans came to be hunting Nazis at the end of the Second World War and how he captured Rudolf Hirst, the commandant of Auschwitz, is an extraordinary book and described by no less than John le Carre as, as one of the great books. Um, the House by the Lake, another book of his, is about a Berlin holiday villa and the history of it during the 20th century. And it's been described as the best way to understand modern Germany and its people, as well as being a cracking read. His latest book, Legacy, has just come out in paperback. So, Thomas, could you tell us a bit about it? The Legacy, yes. The Legacy is about my mother's family, who uh, were behind the company J. Lyons, J. Lyons, tea shops, the corner houses. And a bit like the House by the Lake was a way of understanding German history of 100 years. This is a way of understanding British history of 150 years, told through a family, the company they started, and uh, the characters who lived the history. What I was going to ask you, uh, Thomas, is, is 
firstly, how on earth do you choose your subjects? Because you've written about some quite different different mm. areas of of, uh, of modern history, I suppose. We've written the, a lot about Germany, but also about um, the history of your family in, in this country. So where do you start to pick where you start? Maybe I had a plan at one stage. I think now I just... I think it's what interests me. I think that's that's the honest answer. I could tell you, uh, you know, uh, some you know great theory about the subjects I choose, but I think it's just really what's interesting me at that moment. So that's how I came to legacy, which was uh, I started thinking about my mother's family, having spent all those years thinking about my father's family, and my new book, which I'm just working on, came from legacy. You know, so while I was writing legacy. I learned that my mother's family had made their original fortune partly by selling tobacco, which came from slave plantations in America. And I was like, hang on a second, that's really interesting. You know, I started getting into the whole, you know, history of Britain and, and British slavery, and which is something I never knew about. So really one thing leads to another, I think, is the honest answer. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in how does, how do people get affected by history? How do, whether it's, covid right now or whether it's slavery 200 years ago and then how do people affect history you know on the other side of it so i'm i'm just curious about people i think and do you actually do i mean do you enjoy doing all that research because there must be a lot of pouring over the old diaries and things in libraries is it is that is that fun you know that's actually i love that i mean that's i mean i actually love every aspect of writing except for the one the one thing i don't like is when I have to kind of pitch it to the publishers. I can't stand that. But everything else I love, and I love the researching. I love being in archives. I mean, I remember being a kid going downstairs into our basement. My dad had some filing cabinets and kind of putting my hands on those old documents gives me a total thrill, whether it be, you know, in an archive or people's personal letters, you know, which they've kept, they've had down the generations or listening to old audio tapes or going around and walking around the scene of the story so I can understand the geography. So I love all that research. I love interviewing, but I also love writing. I, mean, I absolutely adore writing. And, and I also really like editing, which is a whole different part of the process. It's actually, the, for me, that's the thing that takes up the most time is the editing. You get a draft down and you have another go, you have another go, you have another go. And then there's this part, which I also really enjoy as well, which is the talking about it, it's meeting people, it's interacting with people who've read the story or interested in the stories. So I, I'm really, each of the phases, as I said, except for one, which is trying to persuade my publishers that I've got the brilliant <laughs> idea, which I can't stand. Um, besides that, I love, I love every aspect. And they're, and they're each very different. Um, now that I've written a few books, I've actually got different ones on the go at the same time, if that makes sense. And right. uh, that's also interesting. Fantastic. And do you, and you get to write every day? I, I mean, I suppose one of the things of uh, being a writer is, that, is uh, during COVID is at least you can sit down at your desk and just write, I suppose. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I like a lot of people. Uh, I, this, is, this is my job, so I don't have another job. I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I'm not an academic. I don't have another profession. So, yeah, so I, I get up, I go to work, I work, and then I stop. And uh, it's pretty much every day. I try not to do the weekends. Uh, but sometimes I do work weekends, and I try not to work in the evenings, although sometimes I do work in the evenings. So I try to really make it limited. If I, if I work too many hours, then my head just goes a bit too lally, and I can't sleep. But, yeah, so it, it's, it's, just, it's putting, the, you know, putting the hours in at the desk. That's what it's about. Right. And, and you anyway. used to work in, in television. Is that right? 
Yeah, so I used to make documentaries. My wife and I used to have a TV station. I used to have a, a newspaper in America, in West Virginia. Yeah, so I've done, I, I was kind of a journalist. I never really worked for one of the big organizations, but I was a journalist of one sort or another, uh, whether it be radio, TV, or newspaper for over 20 years. And that's really where I got, where I learned how to write. And I'm still learning. There's so much to learn. I'm, I'm constantly reminded of how much there is still to learn, you know, which is one of the fun things about it. It's not, I don't think it's anything something you conquer. You're still learning about technique and whether it be narrative arcs or trying to paint a, paint a, a portrait of a, of a place or a person or coming up with some kind of exciting plot or, or trying to work out, you know, how to craft a sentence so that it's easy to read but interesting. You know, these are, these are constantly, for me anyway, I'm always learning. One of the things that comes out in, in your writing uh, where you're writing about you know, sometimes quite quite um, you know dry subjects in some way, but the story of a house is your ability uh, to tell a story uh, and the use of narrative to really engage the reader in in subjects which are sometimes quite tricky. Well, I mean, I, I thank you for saying that. I mean, the, the books that I like reading are things, books which are gripping, that are cracking reads, that are page turners. That's my taste and. I tried to write something that's going to be fun to read, interesting to read, provocative to read, something which is, you, go, you do want to get, keep going through the pages. Uh, I mean, I personally, I find dry history quite difficult to digest. I mean, sometimes I have to read it for my research, but it's not my choice. You know, I prefer things which are more commercial, which are faster paced. And so I've tried to learn from some of those books. I, I'm, I'm writing fact. The, the books I write are non-fiction. Uh, but I'm trying to tell you or tell the reader, you know, what was the weather like or what was people wearing or what was the geography like? What was the politics? What was the political event of that day? To try and add color, you know, to add the different dimensions. And those are all ideas or techniques that come from fiction. Uh, but sure. for me, I need to actually gather an enormous amount of data to be able to support it. Otherwise, it would be fiction. So you never had any, any, any desire to actually write some fiction or, or is that something that, that is perhaps for the future? Well, you know, I did, just, I did just write a book which is called uh, Future History. And I like telling people it's a non-fiction book about the next 30 years. And it's the history of what's going to happen from the year 2050, looking backwards. Uh, some people might call that fiction. I like to think about it as kind of extrapolated non-fiction. Uh, so, so I guess the it's answer is yes speculative. No. <laughs> you could call it speculative non-fiction, couldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, I, I'm trying to use the same ideas for my non-fiction books uh, as if I was writing it from 2050. It came out in Germany and we're hoping it's going to come out in England soon. Thomas, I just wanted to ask you, because the listeners know um, probably to their detriment um, that I also write um, and very much admire Lee Child. And one of the things that I love about your books is it's a very similar forward drive which is amazing given the historical subjects of many of them. And I particularly love The House by the Lake because the house becomes the character and every sentence has its own suspenseful, you know, saving the best bit till last, every paragraph, and I love that. But I particularly was amazed to find it's also a picture book and I bought that and it totally brings home the fact that the house is, is the star almost and actually has its own movement of sadness and so on. So why did you decide to do a picture book and, and was that more difficult or easier? 
Well, firstly, just on Lee Child, I'm I'm very late to Lee Child, and I just spent the the holidays reading about seven books of Lee Child. Oh. <laughs> so it's funny wow. to say that, and um, I've become a total addict. Um, yeah, so I mean, on on the picture book, uh, you know, there, this is a real story about my family's house uh, just outside of Berlin, and uh, when I saw young people which we kind of we rescued from being destroyed and we then renovated it and now it's open to members of the public as a centre of education and reconciliation. The house was, was just outside of Berlin and the Berlin Wall was literally built through its garden, so between the house and the lake that it's next to. So it's a way of telling German history or European history. And I was watching some young people, some um, uh, walk around it and I, I suddenly realised, I wonder if it's possible to tell this story for a younger audience, uh, you know, I had a, a, the adult book inside of 110,000 words. Yeah. Is it possible to tell this for a younger audience? And I saw them touching the fabric of the house. I saw them, there's a bullet hole from where they, the Russians and the Germans fought after Second World, at the end of the Second World War. There's, you know, bits of the Berlin Wall still left in the garden. There's wallpaper on the walls from the East German period. And, and I was thinking, I wonder if there's a way to make it physically resonant for them. And so uh, I, I spoke to uh, a friend of mine who writes picture books. And, and I said, I'd love to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And I felt intimidated. And I love picture books. I've always loved picture books. You know, I've read them to my kids. I, I, uh, for a short yeah. while, I worked in Sean's bookshop. And uh, she said, you just have to do it. Just have a go. And so I had a go. And, and it was very interesting because... Rather than being fact-based, which is how I start my adult books, this is more emotional-based. So yeah. I had to strip away all the facts, all, the, all that history, and really focus on what was the emotions. Because, you know, a, a, a child in the playground, they know what it's like to love something and have that taken away from them. Mm. They know what it's like to have someone be mean to them. They know what it's like to, you know, be with their friends or their family and have a good time, whether it's swimming or having ice cream or so on. So I was trying to use those kind of basic emotions as have that as a starting place and and that kind of worked and then i i sent this into this publisher called walker who are wonderful and then they they approached this extraordinary artist called britta teckentrup who's a german who's a very successful artist uh illustrator also writes her own books and uh, remarkably she lives in berlin so i met oh. with her she went to her house with me and then she just you know i'm actually incredibly busy but yes this I'd love to do this. And she has produced these extraordinary illustrations, I think, which have captured the emotion, the time periods, the characters. You know, because you can describe, you can say, oh, the Berlin Wall went up in the garden. But to see that illustration just makes yeah. everybody gasp because, of course, I keep showing it to everybody now. And, yeah. you know, just to have a house separated from the lake <laughs> where children learn to sail and so on is just, mm. oh, oh, amazing. I think, anyway, I'm so you. glad you said that because I, 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 I loved it and I showed it to members of my family and they totally loved it as well. I really think that, I mean, she's a genius and, you know, her books are extraordinarily successful. So I feel very lucky to have worked with her. But also from a relationship point of view, you know, there's something very special about me being a German Jewish refugee in England, she being a, a German citizen in, in, and working together on this. And I think that brought a whole different element and kind of mirrored the reconciliation and true to reconciliation part of the story. No, that's, I thought that was, it's absolutely fascinating. I think it's a particularly beautiful uh, book. Mm. And um, children's picture books are kind of underrated part of, uh, sort of publish, the publishing industry. Uh, but when they're done like this, it, it, it's fantastic. 
one of the things we'd like to ask, uh, we'd like to ask you, Thomas, is what book you would take to a desert island if you uh, had had only one book that you could take. What would you take? Well, I'm going to be quite cheeky. Uh, I'm going to say that I, I, I would, if I'm by myself, I'm I'm by myself on this desert island. Of course, you are by yourself. Well, it's very <laughs> sad. I don't want to be by myself on this desert island. I love, I love being by myself. I think after about three hours, I'd, <laughs> I'd be really <laughs> missing people. So I think I'd probably have, and this is going to be a cheeky answer. I'd probably have my wife's book. She's just published a book which um, is about her life, and it would bring me closer to her and remind me of how uh, wonderful she is and what a great storyteller she is and how funny she is. It's called Dancing with the Octopus. It just came out. And it's, um, besides it being just a genius book, it sounds like a total act of self-promotion, but it really is an extraordinary book. But more than that, it would be I'd be close with Deborah. That's wonderful. And actually, listeners, Thomas, you needn't feel embarrassed because listeners will know that we have praised the book because our last guest was Kate Moss, who I think oh. interviewed Deborah recently, didn't she? She did. Yeah. Yeah, she did. So Kate's been a big fan book. of the book. She's yeah. been a big fan of the book, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it'd be a way of being close to Deb. So that that sounds a bit. Uh, that 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 would be my book. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for for spending the time to talk to us, Thomas. And uh, uh, best of luck with the new book. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you, Thomas. Bye bye. Bye. Petersfield's Shine Radio. So January is normally a, a pretty quiet month for new books. Uh, and especially so with this month, with, with lockdown. So I, I picked a few books that are coming out. The first one I was going to talk about was City of Tears by Kate Moss. And, uh, and obviously last time we, we had a really good chat with Kate. Yeah. And so I don't need to say much more about this book other than that it's set in 1572 uh, in a France that's, that's riven by years of religious wars. And it's the second in the, in the Burning Chambers series. So you need to read that one first. We seem to be doing a lot of second books at the yes, moment. Yes. Um, she's always she's always uh, good value. And um, if you enjoy historical fiction, I'm sure you'll enjoy this. Um, the second book is uh, a book by Richard Flanagan, which I, I haven't read yet. He did The Narrow Road to the Deep North, which won the Booker Prize. Must be about five years ago now. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, he is a good writer. So I'll be intrigued to read this. But it is... It looks like it's quite a uh, tricky Booker-type experimental fiction, so it might take mm-hmm. a little bit of work. Um, the third one is The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood. Now, he's the guy that created the, the BBC series Death in Paradise. Oh, um, so this, this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Possibly. Absolutely, as far as you can get from literary fiction. to uh, <laughs> Now, it's, it's, it reminds me a little bit of the Richard Osman book, um, in that it's it's yeah, it's got murder in the title, but murder club in the title, but it's it's uh, same kind of uh, sort of home counties feel about it. Uh, Judith Potts is our main protagonist. She's a seventy-seven year old someone who who, who sets crosswords for the times. Um, cerebral lady of, of advanced years. One evening she's out swimming in the Thames at Marlow, so that's the sort of person she is. She witnesses a murder. So when the police um, don't show much impetus to catch the murderer, she enlists the help of a couple of friends to try to solve the case. So, um, so I, it sounds quite an intriguing uh, concept for a for a uh, for a murder story. So I'm I'm looking forward to reading that. Well, I wonder if he had it ready. I wonder if there's now a sort of great trawl going on. Has anyone written anything about elderly people solving murders? Because I know. 
that, that's the classic thing, isn't it? They always say, we want something new, but actually we want exactly the same because it's... Uh, well, I mean, it, it's Agatha Christie's, Agatha Christie's character, Miss Marple, has been doing it for, for, for decades, so oh, it's not new in that sense. But, it's true, uh, but I think she's yeah. peerless and, you yeah. know, it, and all plot, wonderful, wonderful plots. But here's yeah. a bit of random knowledge for you, Tim. Um, did you know that Robert Thorogood in the 1990s founded a small theatre company? Um, I didn't. There you are. But <laughs> I only know because it toured schools. And the best one that they did was a production of The Miser by Moliere. And he was in it with, now listen, folk, with Robert Webb, David Mitchell and Olivia Coleman. Gosh. I know. So there you go. So this is what gives me courage. I mean, look, people, they were coming round schools. They didn't have these stellar careers and they all went on to, to fame. I'm telling myself this. Well, maybe they'll all star in the, in the, in the film or the TV version of this, of this book. You never know. <laughs> I bet they will, actually. They're, they're nearly old enough. No, stop it. Right, I'm going on now to section four, our backlisted book choices. So um, I'm doing something completely different. And I know when I ordered this book from you, you gave me a bit of a look. Um, because, folk, it is Bernadine Evaristo, The Emperor's Babe. Now, why? Um, it wasn't the title, I'm sure, Tim, was it, that made you give me a look? Not um, at all. <laughs> it was uh, the fact it is a verse novel. Now, I'm not a great one for poetry. I mean, I am. I love certain poems, but there are, you know, I can't say I read it avidly. And when I heard verse novel, these were two words I couldn't believe would fit in a sentence. Um, but I decided I would give it a go. And I'm so glad I did. So, called The Emperor's Babe. It was written in 2003 and it was after Bernadine Evaristo had been resident. I don't know if she was resident poet because she mostly writes novels, doesn't she? But she perhaps she yeah. was a sort of resident writer or something at the London Museum. Um, so she knew all about the Museum of London, I should properly call it. Um, and so Everything that's in this has been really, really well documented and she's researched it all thoroughly. But she's written it in such a lively way. It's as though, to me, it, it sort of reads almost like a translation of some lusty Latin poet that she's updated into modern language. And I absolutely love it. So it's set in Londinium in 211 AD. And she is a beautiful Nubian babe, a teenage bride called Zuleika. She keeps very bad company um, until the emperor falls for her. The emperor is Severus. And this sounds, I know I'm making it sound as if it's all a bit right on, but it isn't. It's laugh out loud funny in places. It's quite rude in places as well, but also intensely moving. You really care about her and how she goes through the book. But it's called glistening, daring, exhilarating, and it, it is all those things. So I'm going to read one that's, you know, just only very, very slightly risque. Well, there we are. It's an adult book. We're all adults. So it's um, halfway through. Zuleika goes to the theatre. The emperor was in town and some politicos were staging a show to suck up to him. Valeria and Amelia adorned me beautifully 
and I wore my favourite wig, which I'd bought off an Arabian girl who was waiting tables at a takeaway calf in Bond Court. It ran black and thick to her buttocks. Amelia cut it off there and then and took it straight to my wig maker in Threadneedle Street. Now it's piled up in intricate plaits and twists with ivory combs and jangling hairpins guaranteed to make ears prick up upon my arrival. Anywhere. Felix left three weeks ago. Dad sent me a theatre ticket. He makes more of an effort now Catullus is away at boarding school. And I was carried through the riotous streets to the Guildhall Theatre. Riffraff were fighting each other to get into the stalls. The police were forming barricades. People have been known to murder over seats. My entourage followed with cushions, chicken drumsticks, apples, bread, sauces and an urnful of yellow wine. The play began, a comedia featuring the fool Pappas and the greedy clown Madicus. It was cheap entertainment for the masses. It was tiresomely predictable. The audience predictably boisterous, shouting, laughing and cussing all around me. I wasn't in the mood. My mind wandered inside itself where it was happiest. Was this the highlight of my day, my week, my month? Was this my life? Then, strangely, I felt heat on my right cheek as if a flaming torch were being held too close. The emperor was seated on a throne, some distance to my right, surrounded by the excited hullabaloo of the male hoi polloi, and I knew, without looking, that his desert eyes were roaming over my voluptuous corpus. My breasts had become a sensitive second pair of eyes. I glanced slyly over. I was right. Very good. Well done. I was giving a dramatic pause at the end. I was just... Uh, uh, no, I, I, think she's, I think she's a super writer and very beautifully read. I, I, um, I really enjoyed Girl, Woman, Other, the one that yes. won the uh, Booker Prize last year. Um, and I think, a lot of, like a lot of people, I was a bit reluctant to read it because I thought, oh, it, it's going to be... It's going to be very right on and and uh, exactly. uh, and worthy and you know yeah. not 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 enjoyable. And I found it hugely enjoyable, um, very readable, good narrative uh, drive to it, and um, and quite thought provoking. So yeah, definitely recommend I it. I agree. And she writes differently every time. You know, there isn't a sort of style. So you said is that there's a typical Nick Hornby style of novel, um, which we know what it is. But I don't think you can say the same for her. And uh, and certainly with this in verse, she I mean she just writes so honestly about being a woman. It's just honestly, I think it's like a breath of fresh air. I loved it. Here we are, and in that's it. That's gone really quickly, Tim. Actually, hasn't it? Um, it has. So in February, we'll be joined by prize-winning author Catherine Evans. Um, she'll be talking about farming, frocks, fencing, and how she finally became a published author. Also, an actor. Well, yes, and a belly dancer, but neither of them begins with F, so I thought I'd leave uh-huh. them out. <laughs> there is a connection with Petersfield Library, and I don't know, some of you out there may have um, actually attended it. She came with, I think, four other authors. I think they were doing a sort of fivesome at Petersfield Library. 
uh, and it was rather wonderful. So I met a couple of people who are now in my writing group and so on. So it was actually quite momentous. It was before I, I lived in Petersfield, a couple of years before. We'll look forward to her. And, Fantastic. And that's great. So, Tim, thank you very much. It's been a bit of a trial on this, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening at home and we will, well, fingers crossed, that we actually get to meet in person before too long. Thank you very much, Susie. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly, produced by John Wellsman.